0: Hello, this is Daniel Poppy, pastor at Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. Well, as we continue in our series called The Promise... We're considering those moments between the resurrection at Easter and, of course, the coming of the power of the Holy Spirit in Pentecost, which we'll celebrate here in a few weeks, and those visitations that the Lord had with his followers in those few days, and the things that he said, the things that he was encouraging them to look forward to, the things that he said will be vital to their carrying on the work that he established and that he would continue as the church has now expanded across the globe. And of course, in Acts chapter one, verse eight, we have the core promise. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and on all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. And this is the promise that we cling to today because honestly, we know that as the Lord meets us in salvation at the cross, it's really through the power of the Holy Spirit going with us moment by moment that we're able to live the life of faithful people, the the life that he's called us to, the life of freedom and of power and of health. You know, and it's because the Holy Spirit works in believers by renewing our minds to be like the mind of Christ. There's some rewiring and some reworking that God does in all of us. And that's good news. And these things allow us to see the world the way God does. To be able to see people, situations, circumstances with the heart of God. And then being like Jesus, stepping into those faithfully and boldly and partnering with God in seeing his will and his kingdom to come in those situations. And of course, in our first week of this series, we reminded ourselves that the Holy Spirit works in us in six primary ways, right? First, the Holy Spirit leads us to the truth. The Holy Spirit reveals and interprets scripture for us. The Holy Spirit guides our hearts, convicts us of sin. The Holy Spirit reshapes our thoughts and behaviors, making us more like Christ. The Holy Spirit empowers us to bear witness and to participate in the work of the kingdom. And finally, the Holy Spirit unifies us with others. And we considered what what a faith community that's living in this way might look like. What are the outcomes? And of course, we discovered that they were devoted to one another, that they shared in joy at the awe and wonders that the Lord was doing among them, that they gave generously and extravagantly to one another and that God grew their numbers because of the Holy Spirit. And of course, last week, Pastor Rick did a great job in leading us again in our second part of the series where he was beginning to show the signs and wonders that were starting to follow the apostles, The, the Followers of Christ, as they enacted this workout in the kingdom, he told the story of Peter and the healing of Aeneas and the resurrection of Tabitha. And then, what an impact that had on the early church. Of course, Tabitha was a faithful disciple already working for the church. And Rick reminded us of the important role that women have played in our historical church and in our church today. But already we're beginning to see in these first few verses or these first few chapters of Acts that the Lord is beginning to work and the kingdom is moving and flourishing in, a way, in ways that we, we couldn't have expected. That if you had drawn it up, it, it's looking different than the plan. And that the kingdom is advancing through the most unlikely of people and it's going to the most unlikely of people. And that's gonna be our focus this morning as we pick up the story right where Rick left off. You know, of course, right after the, re- the resurrection of Tabitha, Peter went to stay the night, stay the week with Simon the Tanner in the city of Joppa. And I think Rick implied to us the significance of this because Peter, uh, Peter was a devout Jew. He followed the rules. He did it all right. There were things that the Jews were instructed not to do. There were things that they were instructed not to be around, not to, not to touch and to, and to interact with because it would make them, it would make them ritually unclean for their work in the temple. And it's significant because the work of tanning, the work of skinning animals and preparing their hides for use, this was considered unclean. This was a no-no to the Pharisees, and Peter was a Pharisaic Jew. You know, a, a tanner was the, one of the most unclean trades in ancient society. It's still pretty messy today, but it, then even more so. You know, the nature of their work kept them in a state of ritual uncleanness. You know, in the process, the, the actual activities kept them in a state of physical uncleanliness. I mean, it was stinky, dirty work. You know, it's really probably no coincidence that they mentioned that Simon Simon the Tanner, Simon's house was on the outskirts of town, likely downwind because the place was not pleasant to be around. You know, but of course we have the story of Peter sharing hospitality with Simon, and this is significant because just like Jesus, we see the early disciples eating and drinking and fellowshipping with the outcasts. People who are Jewish, but they're maybe on the fringes of what's acceptable. You know, and this kind of sets the stage of where we're gonna pick up today. You know, but there's one more point I wanna make. In our passage today in Acts chapter 11, we're experiencing a story that was actually told in Acts chapter 10. There's very few times in the Bible, specifically in a specific book of the Bible, where a story is told more than once. Uh, Scripture is pretty focused. Of course, in the Gospels, we might have Matthew and Luke telling the same story from different perspectives, but within a single book, this is pretty rare. We have that today with this story, and we have that with the conversion of Paul on the road to Damascus. And I think it's because the Lord is waking us up to something that's really important. He wants to get our attention here. In Acts chapter 10, the, 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 the full narrative of the story, we see Peter and what he experiences at Simon's house. So Simon, or Peter's staying with Simon's house, at Simon's house. He's on the rooftop, slumbering probably trying to get away from the stink a little bit but he's on the rooftop and he's praying and he has a vision and in this vision a sheet something like a sheet comes down from heaven it's full of four-footed animals and of reptiles and of birds things specifically mentioned in the mosaic law that are unclean for Jews to eat and a voice says Peter get up kill and eat And Peter says, no way, man, I'm not going to do that. There's nothing that's unclean that's ever entered my mouth. And this vision continues. This happens three times. And then there's a knock at the door down below. And it's some men who have come to see Peter. And again, the most unexpected men, these are centurions. These are Gentiles. And they're asking them to come with them to their master's home. And this master is a Roman centurion a chief in the in the roman army and a gentile and peter accepts this invitation even though among the pharisees you're not supposed to commune with gentiles you're not supposed to mingle you're not supposed to share meals you're not supposed to be around these people because they do not see the world we do they do not do things the way we do and so in chat in acts chapter 11 we're hearing this account, but this time it's Peter restating the story back to a group of Jews in Jerusalem. So you guys can be the the Jews in Jerusalem as I recount the story the way Peter did. This is gonna be Acts chapter 11, starting in verse one. You're welcome to turn there. It'll be on the screens for you. Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse one. Now the apostles and the brothers and sisters who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, why did you go to the uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners. And it came close to me, and as I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals and beasts of prey, reptiles, birds of the air. And I also heard a voice saying to me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, by no means, Lord, for nothing Profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The second time, the voice answered from heaven, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times. Then everything was pulled up again back to heaven. And at that very moment, three men sent to Peter from Caesarea arrived at the house where they were staying. The spirit told me, to go with them and to not make a distinction between them and us. There were six brothers. The six brothers here with me now accompanied me or joined me. Lost my place. The six brothers also accompanied me and we entered into this man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house saying, send to Joppa and bring Simon who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit filled them just as it had upon us at the very beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord how he had said, John will baptize with water, but I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And if then God has given them the same gift that he gave us when we first believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to con- that I could hinder God? And when the believers heard this, they were silenced and they praised God saying, then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, for us today, we're, we're pretty far removed from kind of the nuances of this story. There's an Andy word, nuance. <laughs> you know, the cultural and the national issues that were at play among the Jews in Jerusalem and the Gentiles and all of what we're hearing in this story. You know, but maybe if we could do a little thought exercise this morning. If you could imagine the most stigmatized person or people group that you can, try to call that to your mind. The group that if you're really being completely honest with yourself, you'd probably have the hardest time sharing a meal with, or just hanging out with, having conversation with. You know, it's perhaps because you have real history with this person in this group, maybe they've done you harm, emotional harm, physical harm, or perhaps their lifestyle, their preferences, what they believe to be right and wrong, it just is completely different than your thoughts. Now imagine that one or two of these people are invited into your home, into your family, that they're gonna live in your house, share your kitchen, share your bedrooms and your restrooms. Life is being combined with people that have just been a part of your experience this might be a little bit what the Jews in Jerusalem were experiencing when they heard the Gentiles had received the promise of salvation and the Holy Spirit. You know, because we can't underestimate the differences between the Jews and the Gentiles, they were vast. Almost every aspect of their lives were completely different. What they ate, how they dressed, how they washed, how they worshiped, what their art and academics and language and social customs looked like. Jews believed in one God, creator of heaven and the earth. The Gentiles believed in a pantheon of gods. The Jews followed the Mosaic laws for cleanliness and purification and circumcision. The Gentiles had temple prostitutes. (laughs) I mean, it's completely different. Jews felt that they had a special, unique, singular arrangement with God as their chosen people. And now the Gentiles have received the same promise. You know, this story is beginning to shake the assumptions that the Jews carry to their core. But in God's view we have the kicker verse in Acts 11 chapter or verse 9 what God has made clean you must not call unclean you No know, God is rewriting the story of his work in the world once again that put the Jews and it honestly it puts us here today in kind of an insecure footing but if we look at scripture and if we look at how Jesus interacted with the world, if we look at the way God interacted with the world, should this surprise us? Isn't God pretty frequently putting his people off their guard and changing their assumptions? But I, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, okay? We got the Jews and in Judea, Okay, we're getting on the outskirts, but we still have Jews there. And Samaria, okay, now we're in Gentile territory and to the ends of the earth. God's making it clear that the good news of the gospel is not just for a small, select group. It's for all people. You know, the Jews, especially at this time, were still anticipating the establishment of their long-awaited national kingdom with God at the head. But God clearly was more interested in healing hearts and restoring individuals to health and wholeness. May we be humble enough to see what God is doing and confident enough to join him in that work, even when it puts us off our guard. You know, as we consider this, there's kind of three things I'd like us to consider this morning. A three-point sermon. If you've been around church or pastors long, that's like the, that's the ticket. It's having a three-point sermon. (laughs) First, God is always at work in the world and it's our job to discern where he's working and to join him in that work. This is the core invitation to the followers of the way of Christ. All throughout scripture, we see account after account of God beginning a work and inviting people to join him in that work, to be a part of it, small or large, to play their part. Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, the kings who followed after God's heart, the voices of the prophets, calling people back to devotion with God. This is the way God works. He starts a work, he clues people in to what that work might be, and they join him in that process. And of course we have Jesus himself who said very truly I tell you the son can do nothing by himself he can do only what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does the son also does John 5:19 Jesus told us that you will be my witnesses you will be the ones who will go into the into the ends of the earth and to do my work of the kingdom And that work starts with discerning where God might be working in and around you. For us as a congregation, that's discerning how God is working in and around our community, right? You know, for Peter, this call looked like accepting the invitation to stay with Simon the Tanner, even though, according to the Mosaic law, it would make him ritually unclean. It also meant accepting the invitation of these Gentiles to go stay in the house of a Roman centurion, again, making him unclean. Are we listening to the invitations that God may be interjecting in our day, in our lives? Have our routines become so mundane that the invitations might have a hard time getting through can we live our lives in a state of openness to those around us even in our workplaces our schools our homes that we can recognize the moments in which God is moving the Holy Spirit is empowering I'm sure all of you have experiences that you're thinking of where whether you were looking for it or not God got a hold of your attention and all of a sudden you're in an interaction that is out of the ordinary. Maybe you stop to help someone change a tire on the highway and you've never done that before. Maybe you've helped someone because you know, they were needing money and they've, you've never done that before. Whatever it is, we can recognize when God is doing that. And that's our, that's our goal as believers and followers of the way is to allow ourselves to be interruptible in order to participate in God's work. Second, we must be aware of the biases, the presumptions that we carry and allow the Lord to correct them. Peter had followed a strict system of behavior, especially concerning his diet his whole life. And there on that rooftop on Simon's house, a picnic was laid before him, a food that he would have never considered eating. And he was commanded to kill and eat. When he pushed back, the Lord doubles down on that correction, saying what God has made un- has made clean, you must not call unclean. But God had called those things unclean back in the Mosaic law. But was Peter receiving some new information? I think he was. I think... God was using this example to help him. Of course, it's not all about food. It might be about food, but it's not just about food. It's about people. And God was helping Peter see the world the way God does. You know, and if God did that to Peter, if God does that time and time in scripture, honestly, it leaves the door wide open for God to declare just about anything clean. And that's a little bit frightening to us. Because when we know what's clean and what isn't, that's safe. Like, we like boundaries. We like definitions. But when it isn't so clear, it throws us into a bit of a crisis. Perhaps the question for us today is like this. Who has God made clean that we still see as unclean? What kind of people in our opinion are so, um, do we, that we keep insisting are dirty and by doing so quarter them off so that they cannot participate in the table of our fellowship together? What kind of people are those? If God were gently or maybe not so gently trying to change your mind about something or someone, could he get your attention? Yeah, maybe if we're on like the roof praying and we have a vision, he could get our attention. But, you know, are we open to God getting our attention in that way? What might that look like for you? You know, and can we trust God to work in the hearts of those that we might consider outsiders? Can we trust God to work in the hearts of those that we might consider outsiders? in such a way that we recognize now God's working in my heart and changing the way I view the outsider, in such a way that now I'm connecting with someone and I can see the glory of God in them in a way that might be veiled, might be covered by sin, might be covered by their behaviors, but I'm connecting with the core of God in them and together we experience the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the beauty of the work that God calls us to. Can we trust God to do that work? Remember the six ways that we see the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Does this sound like those six ways as the Holy Spirit works in someone and calls us to join in that work? I think it does. I think it sounds exactly like it. And finally, the third, can we be humble enough to celebrate God's work even when it shows up in the most unlikely of places? And can we be confident enough or assured enough to follow God in that work, even if it takes us into unknown territory? In every single way, the Gentiles were offended by the... The Gentiles offended the sensibilities of the Jews. And yet at the end of our passage, these people who were kind of putting Peter on the... hot. hot seat making him explain why he did what he did at the end of our passage when they heard peter explain it they celebrated they said we were wrong and they worshiped god then god has given the gentiles the repentance that leads to life i think that's hopeful for us One of our favorite authors around here, N.T. Wright, says it like this. The passage that we're hearing is not about the Jerusalem crew idly discussing the value of circumcision and food laws. You know, what they were considering goes much deeper. The topics were more akin to national loyalties in a time when the region was under intensely increasing pressure. To welcome Gentiles as equal brothers and sisters must have felt like fraternizing with the enemy. And that's exactly what we see happening in that passage. We see a group of believers willing to admit to themselves that they might have been wrong. They were humble enough to receive correction. And they were bold enough to rejoice and celebrate not only in the turning of their hearts, but in this new work that God was doing. We have a hard time admitting when we're wrong. Is that safe to say? You know, we might even count it a sign of weakness or worse, a sign of untrustworthiness when someone changes their mind on something they said before. I don't want to get political, but we see this in the political process a lot. If someone... You know, votes a certain way, and then eight years later they try to vote a different way. Now all of a sudden they're being chastised for changing their their mind. But we see God inviting us to keep our minds open, to follow Him as He changes us and works in our hearts and helps us see the world in new ways. You know, but why do we tend to feel that? discomfort with this. You know, where do we get the idea that everything there is to be known is known and certain? If we look at scripture and we follow the, the, the life of Christ, we see in the Messiah, the very embodiment of God time and time again, correcting deeply held, deeply seated presumptions of the way the world worked. God invites us to open our hearts and our minds, be humble enough to admit when God's doing a new thing. But this shouldn't make us uncomfortable because we know Christ, God, the gospel, is beautiful and good. He wants health and life of all humanity. Let's remind ourselves of the things that we know to be true. First, God loves all humanity. God loves his creation god asks us to love all humanity and creation and to work to protect it and sustain it god asks us to go out of our way to help the hurting the wounded the poor the outcast the other god asks us to go out of our way to help the hurting the wounded god desires for all of his creation to be restored to life and health and dignity. And God's just got one plan. God has plan A for accomplishing this work. And that's through partnering with you and me to see it happen. May it be so. Now, of course, we've been looking at this kind of flashback of of Peter kind of recounting this story to the Jews in Jerusalem, but Uh, are you curious what he said in that Roman centurion's house that caused that household to become saved and to receive the power of the Holy Spirit? I was, I I went back and looked. We've got a minute or two, let's look at it. It's in there. So we're gonna back up to Acts chapter 10, 34 through 48. This is the moment that Peter is in the household of the Roman centurion. Peter began to speak to them, I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every people, anyone who fears him and practices righteousness is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, for he is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism from John, that John announced. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with the power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were, were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We all we are witnesses of all that he had did in Judea and in Jerusalem. But they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all people, but to those who, among us who were chosen by God as witnesses. And we ate and we drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God to judge both the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him and receives forgive, will receive forgiveness through his name. While Peter was speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even unto the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these who have received the power of the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Then they invited him to stay for several days. Peter was just telling the story of what he had experienced. There's no secret, there's no magic to what Peter expressed here. He just told his story. He told his testimony. And the Holy Spirit empowered it in such a way that the Gentiles in his hearing received belief in Christ and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Can we trust that the Spirit is doing that in people around us? And all we have to do is tell our story. You and I have been touched. We've been marked. We've been healed because of the work that God's done in us through scripture, through our experience, through the work of the Holy Spirit, gently and consistently pulling us towards God through his prevenient grace. And finally, experiencing salvation and restoration in our lives through faith. Do we still believe that God has this same work in store for others? I think we do. May we be lucky enough, like Peter, to be in the exact right place at the exact right time to witness or even to be used by God in a powerful way in that moment as his grace pours out on someone else. We should all have that desire to be used in that way. Just as likely, we will have opportunities to share a moment, share a day, share a season in someone's faith journey someone whom the Lord is gently calling and stirring and working in their hearts, making them more like Christ. And we just get to come alongside and share life with them, have encouraging conversations, being the one willing to say when we go out to coffee, so how's God working in your life? What are you excited about? Have you been reading anything that's inspiring? oh yeah, what part of scripture have you been reading? You know, just can we be that one to ask intentional questions? May we be able to recognize the work that God is doing all around us. May we be pliable enough that our biases and our presumptions would not stand in the way of the work of the Holy Spirit. And may we be humble enough to celebrate when we see God at work in the most unlikely of places, following him with assurance and confidence into new territory. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this challenge this morning. And God, if we are honest with ourselves and if we're honest with you, it can be a little scary. It can be a little uncomfortable. But Lord, thank you for reminding us through the demonstration of Christ's life, but also through what we see happening in the early church in acts that Lord, your work is happening all around us, even in the most unlikely of places. God, may we be willing and obedient and humble enough to join you in that work. God, help us to love one another well. Even if that means that we have to change our mind on someone or something. Knowing that there's safety in the beauty of your desire for humanity to live in health and fullness and life. God, as we gather around your table, we ask that in our hearing, in our worship, and now in partaking, that Lord, you would begin this new work in us today, that you would give us power and strength to follow as you lead us, amen.